Welcome to the Fear and Greed Business Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. When I was in Europe recently, I'm boasting here, I happened to walk past a Lotus dealership in Paris. Now, parked out the front of the dealership were five bright yellow Lotus electric vehicles. Everybody was taking photos of them, including me. Fantastic marketing for Lotus, just having these five vehicles out the front. It got me thinking about high-end EVs. We hear a lot about Teslas, obviously, and they're high-end. Also, Chinese automaker BYD, it's becoming more prominent. But what about the luxury car makers like Lotus? Where are they up to in the EV market? Whenever we have a car-related question, there's only one person we ask. Trent Nikolic is the Managing Director of Drive.com.au. Trent, welcome back to Fear and Greed. Good afternoon, mate. Thank you for having me. You're on the road, part of your uh, broadcast <laughs> efforts, is that right? Yeah, quite. well, not quite literally on the road, kind of off to the side of it at the moment. But yes, on the road, out here shooting one of our drive TV shows. So um, yeah, we're down near the border along the Murray River between New South Wales and Victoria. Fantastic. Now, luxury car makers, are they all getting into EVs? Yeah, the answer, I could just say yes, and you could ask me the next question, mate. Um, That's the short answer. But the long answer is they absolutely are. And in many ways, and I think this is fascinating, and you'll probably touch on this, and I'm sure you've already thought about this. In many ways, Luxury car manufacturers are really, really well placed to move into the electric vehicle space. And I'll tell you why. It's really quite simple. The average car, let's say for argument's sake, you're going out to buy a Toyota Corolla and you've got 25 grand to spend. If you want that car to be electric, chances are it's going to be about 50,000 bucks. So it's going to be almost double the price. Whereas if you look at a Porsche Panamera, which starts at 160 odd thousand and goes up to above 300,000. The reality is that there's no such thing as a cheap Porsche. So if you're looking at a Panamera or a Taycan, which is electric, the actual transition to buy an electric Porsche is not dramatically more expensive, if it is more expensive at all, than buying a Porsche anyway. Yeah. I mean, that Makes a lot of sense, actually. It's easier for them. <laughs> do they? I mean, do they want to get into the EV market? Now, I'm thinking it was you that told me this, so I might be wrong. I think it was like a Maserati or one of those. The problem with an EV is it just doesn't sound like a Maserati, for example. Yeah, I think the question you're asking has got two answers. On one hand, when you talk to a manufacturer like Maserati, like Alfa Romeo, another one that's been very vocal about it is Lamborghini. Ferrari's the same. The reason that you get into a Ferrari and think that it's amazing is the sound, the noise, and the emotional response that you have to the vehicle because of the sound. So those manufacturers on one hand understand that the most difficult thing they're going to do generationally is transition across to electric vehicles. But on the other hand, the reality of an electric vehicle, and it's funny, I found myself writing this reviewing a plug-in hybrid last week that I did because it's got a 50k range of pure electric. The reality of electric vehicles is they're very quiet, they're very insulated, they're very refined. And I think one of the things that people probably don't even realise is a critical element of luxury in their own mind is silence and insulation. If you go into a room in a house and you close the door and it's insulated, it feels expensive. If you sit inside the cabin of a car and you thud the door closed and it's quiet inside and you can't hear anything that's going on around you, you think to yourself, 
this is an expensive car. This is a premium place to be. So the reality of electric cars is there's no driveline noise. There's no gearbox. There's no traditional engine. They don't run the same way that regular cars do. Therefore, they're very quiet. So if you were to sit in an electric Rolls-Royce or an electric Bentley or an electric Maserati, it's going to be a very, very premium experience. Okay. So are these sorts of EVs available in Australia from these car makers? Some of the luxury car makers have started to make it viable, mate. So even the the likes of Ferrari have got the SF90 supercar that has a, a small electric range because it's a plug-in hybrid. And the Ferrari 296 is like that as well. So even the super luxury car makers do it. But now we're talking about the likes of Mercedes-Benz, Audi, BMW. Uh, they all have electric vehicles in Australia, Jaguar. Land Rover will soon because they're part of it as well, or Range Rover will. They've got plug-in hybrids as well that have a certain uh, electric range. So the luxury manufacturers are really starting to dip their toe in the water. Lotus is one of the other ones that, you know, more aligned with making affordable and really fast sports cars, but they're going down the electric route as well. So not all of them have multiple electric models for sale in Australia, but a lot of them have either some form of electrification or at least one electric vehicle available. What do they like to drive? Sensational. Um, And this is the other thing. (laughs) In a word. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I'll I'll probably expand on that. One word answers are pretty boring, aren't they? But um, look, in a word, yeah, sensational. And it's funny that you mentioned Lotus in your intro there, because the, the reality is that A vehicle like a Lotus, when you get in a Lotus sports car, whether you're driving it on the road or one of their track days, what you're looking for is response, pace, you know, a car that's quick around a racetrack and that does it seemingly easily. Electric cars, by their very nature, do all of that. So they're making peak power immediately. There's no lag. You don't have to wait. You put your foot down and you're in a roller coaster. It is that fast. So the the reality is that an electric performance vehicle does everything that we measure performance vehicles on particularly well. Wow. I want to drive one, Trent. (laughs) I want. So just, I mean, I will get there, I'm sure, but I'll probably be part of the masses that will adopt EVs, you know, at some point in the next five years when I buy a new car, what still worries me is about the infrastructure challenge in Australia, though. It still worries me that it takes a long time to charge the car. How close are we to getting past those issues? Yeah, okay. So the, the first point you made there is right. I think the majority of us aren't going to be out there spending three, four, five hundred thousand dollars on a really fast premium electric vehicle. But one of the things I do say all the time, mate, is that even a slow electric vehicle is fast in traditional terms. So a slow electric vehicle might be six or seven seconds, zero to a hundred. That is quick. You know, 10 years yep. ago, that was yep. supercar fast, right? So your other point for me has been the issue from the outset. I've said a number of times at Drive and in reviews that I think it's nonsense that the government is trying to incentivize the purchase of these electric vehicles that already have waiting lists and that people seemingly want in greater numbers than we can supply. I've always said that the government should have been spending that money on infrastructure. Now, as someone who, and I say this through gritted teeth, has had the privilege of driving all over the countryside in electric vehicles for the Drive TV show that we do, I can tell you that the infrastructure is not even remotely anywhere near it where it needs to be for you, me, or anybody else to easily leave the city with an electric vehicle. Stay with me, Trent. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Trent Nikolic, Managing Editor of Drive.com.au. 
Okay, while I've got you, Trent, there's also been a big push by ultra-luxury brands into the SUV market, when I'm not talking <laughs> electric vehicles here, SUVs, Lamborghini, Ferrari, they're now making SUVs. I know you've recently test-driven the new Maserati SUV. What are they like? It's You know what's funny for me, and I, and I remind people of this all the time, we had an interview with one of the um, – actually, I think it was the boss of Ferrari at the time – about SUVs because there'd been rumours that Ferrari was going to build one. And he said to us, basically, quote, unquote, um, I'll be dead before Ferrari builds an SUV. Lo and behold, he's very much alive and Ferrari's building an SUV. And the next time that we saw him, I said, pretty sure you told us you'd be dead before they'd build an <laughs> SUV. And I'm pretty sure you're still alive. Um, look, in many ways, I think, I reckon probably the BMW X5 was the first SUV in a modern sense that drove and felt more like a car. So I think you could say that BMW probably created the segment. I think the standard setup so far has been the Porsche Macan. So the Porsche Cayenne is the larger SUV, but the Porsche Macan being smaller is a lot faster, more nimble, drives more like a car. As you mentioned, I recently test drove the Maserati Grecale Trofeo, which is their fastest version of their medium SUV. And I believe Porsche has got a fight on its hands to keep the Macan above it. This thing is unbelievable. Now, the reason they're so impressive, despite the fact that I've been on record multiple times saying I wish the likes of sports car manufacturer Porsche just kept building sports cars, while also understanding that the KN saved Porsche because without that, the company wouldn't have been economically viable. I get all of that, but I kind of wish sports car manufacturers just built sports cars. But the reason these are so good is because they are being designed and engineered by people who build sports cars. So therefore, they're delivering an SUV that it can't quite hide everything about it that makes it an SUV and that it is a bit bigger, it is a bit heavier, it does have a higher centre of gravity. But if I was to take you out on a couple of hot laps of a racetrack with that Maserati Grecale or Porsche Macan, you would be gobsmacked by how fast they are and how capable they are and easy they are to be driven quickly, given they're something that we would just drive to and from work in the city. Okay. I mean, what you're talking about, because you're a serious car driver, obviously, for most people, though, they you know they do. They just drive it around the city. But obviously, the demand for SUVs is there because these guys wouldn't be getting into it if the demand wasn't there. Oh, spot on. Absolutely. And a, and a country like Australia is as SUV crazy as anywhere in the world. Uh, and even, you know, the shoot I'm out on at the moment, I'm driving a Nissan X-Trail, which is a medium SUV, so RAV4 in that segment. And I said just in a piece to camera about an hour ago that 20, 30 years ago, you would have been driving out here in a Commodore or a Falcon. They were the default primary Australian vehicles. Now, Australians want SUVs. And the next step beyond that is that people with more money want a luxury SUV. So they want a high-end, luxury, expensive SUV. And that's why Bentley has one, Aston Martin has one, Rolls-Royce has one. Obviously, Range Rover and Land Rover have been doing it for years, but you mentioned Lamborghini and Ferrari as well. And Car manufacturers are not stupid. They don't build cars that they know nobody's going to buy. So they absolutely know that they can sell a lot of these. And there's no coincidence that in the case of Lamborghini, for argument's sake, that released the Urus, their SUV, it quite literally overnight becomes their biggest selling model as soon as they release it. Wow. Trent, I love talking to you about this stuff, but we have run out of time. Thank you for talking to Fear and Greed. My pleasure, mate. Thank you for having me. 
That was Trent Nikolich, Managing Editor of Drive.com.au. This is the Fear and Greed Business Interview. Join us every morning for the full episode of Fear and Greed, Australia's best business podcast. I'm Sean Elmer. Have a great day.